Welcome to The Concierge CPA. I'm Jackie Meyer, founder of The Concierge Accountant Program and Tax Done IQ software. This is a podcast for accounting firm owners and influencers who are pursuing world-class service. We discuss their path to excellence, their daily habits, and what influences them and their work. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around till the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go, y'all. Welcome, everybody. I'm Jackie Meyer. I'm the CEO and founder of Tax Land IQ and the Concierge Accountant. We have 236 registrants for today. Very exciting. And I have some really cool special guests. This is the third AI panel. The first one I did, I got a note saying that someone took the survey after and said, I'm an expert in everything AI and everything you said was wrong. I'm like, wow, that's interesting because I didn't know anyone was quite an expert in everything AI yet. So no, I'm not going to guarantee that we're going to say everything correctly, but that's the point of the panel is to balls, figure out what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, and go. You should have that person on this panel too. We should see what they have to say. Well, unfortunately, it was anonymous. I always thought it was Randy. Of for course it time, was. But, well, let's go around and have everyone introduce themselves, a quick elevator pitch. Scott, let's start with you. Scott Scarano. I also go by OKR, OK Rapper. I do raps. I have a podcast, Accounting High. That's the high school Accounting High. And I also have an accounting firm. I've been dabbling with a lot of AI lately, and we'll get into that. So that's me. Awesome. Awesome. Welcome. Randy. Well, good day, all. I'm Randy Johnston, one of the K2 partners. We produce about 1,600 events to CPAs in the U.S. and Canada every year, about 100,000 attendees. I've been doing artificial intelligence. I've written it since 1976 myself and have been around AI pretty much the whole way. Yeah, Jackie, I think you're right. No way we can know everything about AI. It's emerging too doggone quickly. But you'll see that I tend to take a bit of a technology bent to things that we talk about and that I'm excited and concerned about the opportunities in the accounting profession for AI. I can't wait to hear your perspective, Randy. I really value it. So I can't wait. Kelly, how about you? Hello, I'm Kelly Mann. I am founder and CEO of Audit Miner, a high-growth stats startup that participated in the CPA.com startup accelerator last year, like yours is this year, Jackie. And then I used to have a CPA practice. And within the CPA practice, all I did was audit employee benefit plans. I sold that January 1. So now I'm full-time Audit Miner CEO. And then the Audit Miner program is automating and streamlining employee benefit plan audits for CPAs that perform them. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Jeremy. Hi, I am Jeremy Wells, owner of a uh, tax and accounting firm called J. Wells CFO. And I'm also co-host of the CPA Advisory Show with uh, Chris Hervishan, CPA. And uh, together we've been spending the last couple months on and off on our show, talking with our guests and talking amongst ourselves about different ways that accounting firms, especially those on the smaller, the regional, local and virtual firms can use AI, the way we, the ways we can bring it into our practices and what some of the potential possibilities, but also pitfalls of that are for the accounting profession. Love it. Can't wait to hear what you've come up with so far. Jessica. 
Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jessica Spitt. I'm an enrolled agent based out of Idaho. I am the co-founder of Workflows for Tax Pros, where we teach accountants how to systemize their practices, uh, specifically using the tool TaxDome. I do have my own practice, uh, Tax Savvy Jessica, where I offer tax strategy to six-figure service providers. And I also founded a tax resolution training program called the 100K EA. I love to integrate my workflows and experience with automations into that. Wonderful to meet everyone. Thanks for being here, Jessica. Okay. So we had a couple other people. One was sick. One had something else going on that we're going to be on the panel, but that's okay. Now I get to spend more time with each of these wonderful souls. I'm going to do a, a little bit of a debrief just in case you didn't attend the prior panels or know why this is such a pressing topic. Guys, specifically around GPT as a natural language processor has gained enormous strides in 2023. We have Rob Lennon, who's kind of a thought leader on Twitter and marketing genius, describe ChatGPT as AI's iPhone moment earlier this year. That's really going to change the trajectory of our lives and how we work. And I've already seen that personally. I bet uh, some of our panelists and some of you that are attending have seen that personally as well. And then around the 315 deadline, which you may have missed because you were in the 315 deadline, GPT-4 had come out, been out like three or four weeks or something, and it prepared a tax return. Now, it was like a 2019 return. It's only updated through September 2021, and it didn't translate the data into a tax prep software. So there's still a lot of limitations, but it's really promising where it can go. And then we have leaders like Elon Musk and the government who were part of creating these things, saying we need regulations. We have the president of OpenAI begging Congress to put regulations around AI. So it's really kind of insane where we're at with Italy banning it at one point and, and who's going to do what in different nations. So that combined with the amazing fun that I've been having with GPT-4 sparked me to ask other thought leaders in the profession to come together and let's talk and see what's going on and see how we can uh, optimize these things. So I'm going to kick up with my fun question, which is the fact that I've been going for a she trend with GPT and I pulled text Twitter about this. My Twitter handle is Jackie Meyer CPA, by the way, follow me there. GPT told me itself, it does not have a gender because it's not alive, but it's open to whatever you want to call it. Scott, is it a he, she, or you're never going to assign a gender to GPT because it's not human? I think that it's a they, right? It's not, the, if we're going with pronouns, it's a they, right, it's right. both, and it can be whatever you want it to be, right? Like, yeah. this is your per, your own personal assistant. You give it your own name and it will it will treat you just the way you treat it too. It's That's very polite. nicer than the way you treat it, right? I don't know. I mean, I throw in the please and thank you in there. It appreciates that. See, I just used it. Those. I, I tend to go with they or it. Right. They is very confusing to me when you're thinking of like a, a, a single thing, but making it plural. So that's always a little confusing. So Randy, what do you see? He, she, well, it. I am going to be stay plural with it because you think about it today, we're talking as a panel. So you're really talking to a they right here. 
And uh, I believe that you'll see more personality and emotion added into these platforms in the very near term. Mm -hmm. So today they tend to be very factual. And right now, I don't think we have enough of that emotional intelligence in the platforms. And maybe over time with more emotional intelligence, we'll figure out which personality it is. But I really just treat people pretty much the same, whether they're he, she's, it's, they all people are the same to me. They're either nice or they're not nice. There you go. I love it. I love it. But it actually can be a little sexist. I've called it out. Like you're, I, I asked for like thought leaders in SaaS businesses or whatever, and it gives me all these men. I'm like, I have a influence here. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you. Let me give you some more feminine ideas. Well, and it makes sense, Jackie, it would be sexist because it's trained on the web, which is dominantly English and has been dominantly produced by male uh, programmers, developers. Right, exactly. It only learns- It's a product of its environment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Kelly, what about you? Well, I'm not in the boat where I think society needs to be okay without giving things labels, starting to be uncomfortable not having to label and categorize everything to, to make us personally feel safe. So I am going to disclaim from answering this question because I don't think it matters. Responses. Jerry? Yeah, it, whether it's the various ladies in the tube or whatever sort of talking device, it just, I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm a Trekkie. And it just reminds me of in the next generation when they start just interacting, right, with the computer. And yeah, it's got a feminine name to it, of course. But you look back and that was Gene Roddenberry's wife, Madel Barrett, right? Like she was she was one of the founders of the show. So that was more of an empowering kind of thing than we're just a science. It's an assistant. So we're going to give it a feminine sort of voice. I don't know if that's as true for Isn't Apple's voice assistant. It, it, that's sexist if it's an assistant that doesn't have to be a female. Well, I, right. And you notice that, right? Like in, in not more recent because it's been around for a while, but in, in further iterations of those tools, they've added the options to assign it different voices, right? And we notice that kind of structural sexism play out, right? I'll put a, I'll put a new workout app on my phone and the coaching voice is, is typically a buff sounding guy kind of thing, right? We're going to deal with that. I'm side with uh, Kelly. I'm not sure we need to worry about the labels, especially at this stage, and especially with the way we've talked about, you can assign it pretty much whatever identity you want. And and I think that is something that I have had to train myself, right? There's a ton of content out there now about how do you train ChatGPT to work better for you. And one of the first things is, well, you've just got to load it up with a bunch of your identity, your expectations, the way you think, the way you want it to respond to you. Now, are you creating this sort of self-referential loop where now it's just giving you back a a, a version of what you've told it to give you. Yeah. So I don't know. But yeah, I think as far as giving it an identity, those sorts of things, just, just make it your own, right? Make it whatever you want it to be. And Jeremy, to your point, the, the identity should not matter. But I do note that we reference a lot of things with respect with female pronouns and just think aircraft carriers and battleships. They're she's. And it, our English language is actually the barrier here. Other languages like French have the gender neutral pronouns. As I look at it, I just think of it as a technology that I give respect. Anything that I give respect to, and I don't know the gender, like a battleship or an aircraft carrier, it's a she to me. 
Whenever I hear that example of the French neutral gender, it always reminds me, though, to high school French when when I was desperately trying to remember the fact that a woman's blouse is masculine and a man's shirt is feminine, right? So even then, we have weird little quirks in those kinds of setups. But yeah, I agree. I think we've just got this history of things have to have this anthropomorphic identity. And maybe one long-term benefit of this technology is that it really forces us to start thinking beyond that somehow. Yeah, that's really cool. I love this. What about Alexa? Nobody ever asked what Alexa was or Siri. And I've been using Jasper since like last year and Jasper's Mm -hmm. Jasper. So I assume that that's a he. Alexa's a she. It's all in the name, right? Yeah, which GPT doesn't really give us much to work with. All right, Jessica, round us out. Your thoughts here. I think ChatGP is a woman. At least that's how I use her. Um, no, no real specific reason why. I just I find that when I am talking to ChatGPT, that I have, how Scott mentioned, right, the thank yous and the pleases. Like I, I naturally put a softer tone when I am talking to ChatGPT. So it sounds to me, just with how I, how I talk to her, there's a, a softer a softer way that I approach that. Very differently than if I'm trying to enforce a statement. And of course, the women in here know how it different is to sometimes talk to men in a professional setting. I've had interactions with people that haven't always been positive, and sometimes being able to speak more sternly, more confidently, I find that I do that more with men than I do with women. And so I'm very soft when I talk to Jack to be, hey, can you help me with this? And and she seems very appeased with the pleases and thank you. So I believe she's a woman. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Yeah, I was talking about pretending. It's very impressive. Anybody that's infamous or whatnot as of pre-September 2021 or the data that was loaded at that point, it can be Oprah. It can pull quotes and citations from not well-known books. It can essentially summarize things faster than any of us. I even asked, someone told me my mission statement wasn't emotional enough and I wasn't feeling emotional that day. So I told GPT-4 to make it more emotional and it literally did it for me better than I would have come up with it. Now, I'm realizing over the last month that it does make things. So it wants to please you, right? So it will give you fake hyperlinks, fake sources, or links that have been broken since it pulled that data. And so you have to be really careful about that. And so I've been starting every prompt. If I want it to be like me, I give it a like a tiny little sample script of here's my tone and writing style. And then do not lie. Make sure and tell me if you're unclear or if this is not something that's actually a fact. And it will reiterate it back to me to make sure that it's not just making stuff up. So it's really interesting. What do y'all think about the accuracy of it and those kind of things, Scott? I think you just, it's all in what you're asking it to do, because a lot of times you should be doing your own fact checking. I I know anything that I've done on it, I'm relying on it. Just the written, I need something to get started. When I have an idea, the gap between execution of the idea and actually putting something on paper is really big for me. It has been in the past. Now, let's say just for raps, for example, if I have an idea for a rap, I'll tell it the idea and tell it what I want to do. And it does the first draft for me instantly. Love it. Then I could work with it and I can mess with it from there. But I, I think it's just a springboard to get something started, to get something on paper for anything. But it's so powerful beyond that too. I'm using it for something very basic and fun. 
That's awesome. Randy, what do you think? Well, Scott, your point about not having to work with blank paper has been a godsend for me over the last yeah. year plus on that. But this high, whole idea of hallucinations is really a big deal. Now, technically what's going on is there's actually alignment problems that are inside these large language models. That's what we're seeing. And there is a technique known as reinforcement learning from human feedback or RLHF that's built into chat GPT-4 and was in 3.5. And you need to make sure that you're using those reinforcement cycles. Jackie, like you said, I preload things about me. Here's my writing style. Here's my tone and so forth. And we recommend that to all CPA firms that they actually build out preloads that they can dump into the models to tune them up. So this prompting thing is going to be a real big deal. But over time, we're going to have to see more uh, wargaming or red teaming on these platforms. It's going to be almost impossible to get them released without issues. Uh, Jason Wee over at OpenAI has said that he's counted 137 emergent abilities, things that the models were never built to do. Uh, and that is evidenced with language. It's evidenced with revenue forecasts. It's revenue evidence with all sorts of things. So again, we don't know what the rails are, and that's why all of these various entities are concerned about putting rails on this. But it, I consider it a Pandora's box. It's open. We're not putting it back in the box. So let's take advantage of it and be aware of the downsides and the upsides. And clearly making stuff up, hallucinating is one of those. Yeah, for sure. Kelly, what do you think about the accuracy? And as far as accuracy, I probably give it the same amount of credit that I would give Randy Johnston if I'm having a conversation with him. So like pretty Point. good resume, pretty good background. I trust the guy. If he tells me something and I think it's great, I'm probably going to tell someone else. But at the same time, he's not infallible. And mm -hmm. I know that. But he still has pretty good credit behind him. So if I post a blog post or if I write something up, I'm absolutely going to be, say, like, assisted by chat GPT. I'm not going to take credit for anything that it says. And so I think widely known people know that it's technology and it may not be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Jeremy? Yeah, okay. So uh, a few points here. One, uh, to Randy's point about preloading prompts, and, and that was based off what uh, Scott said. So here's what I've learned after a few months of playing around with this. That prompt, right? Because the whole idea of it is a chat and it took me a while to realize that every time, and you can start new chats if you haven't done this, right? So every time you log on, you'll see the last chat that you did and any chats before that. And if you want to start a new one, it took me a while to realize because everybody was saying, oh, you just got to load it up with your prompts and it will learn from what you're asking it. Well, only within the same chat thread, right? If you start a new chat, you're starting from a completely blank slate. This thing has no idea about you. It has no idea what you've asked in any of the other chats that you've got going on with it. It has no idea what it's already told you in any of those chats. So you're starting from scratch. So if you think about it like that, it, it every time you start a new chat and it's like a first date, right? So what are you going to do on that first date? What are you trying to, to do from that? Or maybe a, a first interview for a job candidate, right? Again, we're trying to anthropomorphize this thing, right? And put it into a human context. So what is that initial conversation going to look like? I usually, for these prompts, I tell it who I am, 
right? Just here's my name, here are my credentials, here's the business I'm running, here are the relevant facts and details about me related to whatever this project is going to be, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish, why I'm trying to do that. And then I'll always end that initial uh, entry with what clarifying questions do you have? And I found that to be a really helpful way to get ChatGPT to start doing the heavy lifting of prompting for me, because it will usually come back with seven, eight, nine questions, about half of which I anticipated. The other half, I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question yet. That's a really good question. I haven't thought of that, right? Thank you for helping me think about. And, and I'll go down rabbit hole of spending the next 30, 45 minutes of that chat just exploring one of those questions that it asked me, because it's actually a really good question that I might not have ever thought about on my own, but it actually starts shaping the nature of this project that I'm starting to work on. So that I really like ending my prompts with that. What clarifying questions do you have? And, and I found that to be really helpful in starting off these prompts. Now to what Scott was saying, yes, if you're asking chat GPT to come up with the final draft of a dissertation full of citations and footnotes and references, just stop. It's not going to, it's not going to do that. Right. And we're seeing the headlines of where college students are trying to turn in drafts that they've had chat GPT create for it. And it's automatic plagiarism red flag. But the way I like to think about it is on the two dimensional plane. One dimension is from the simple to complex. Simple is something like what Scott's talking about, where it's a very rough draft or it's an outline. I use chat GPT to make a lot of outlines. Complex is going to be that final draft. You're looking more toward the left end of that scale. Very simple. Just that first thing that, that a couple paragraphs to get you started, right? And then the second dimension is time bound to timeless. Ask it timeless questions. Ask it things that aren't really going to change over time, right? The time bound things because of that temporal factor, because it's based on a, a fraction of what was on the internet up until September of 21. I don't know if y'all noticed, but the world's changed a little bit since September of 2021, right? So anything since then, it's not only not going to get right, it's going to tell you in a way that it thinks is right based on what it knew back in September of 2021. For example, I asked it about, I was outlining an article that I was writing on the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. Well, part of that was it was giving me the contribution limits, the annual contribution limit. And it said the 2023 contribution limits for an IRA of this or Roth IRA is that. And I was thinking that doesn't seem right. It gave me the 2021 values mm -hmm. telling me that it was the 23 values. And it knew for sure that those were the right answers when I knew for sure that it wasn't. So again, you've got to fact check it on your own. But if you're asking those more timeless sorts of questions, it'll give you some better uh, product there. Oh, sorry, Scott. So, Jeremy, those were some brilliant insights in terms of sweeping the chat clean. So now I'm picturing an autistic 51st dates. That kind of is where this plays out. Your guidance on how to do those chat prompts are critical. And again, we would recommend that you build a model of your chat prompts so you can just copy and paste them in to a new chat and save you all that work. And I've built three models like that over the last six or seven months. Some of the more current ones are very sophisticated. So Scott, sorry to step on you there. No, no, no. I was just saying for the last 20 years, we've been hearing, don't use Google to fact check. So what are you going to use to fact check? I think Google's the best way to fact check something like this. So don't use AI now for the facts. Use Google to fact check or Wikipedia. Mm. That is a question. I don't know. 
Well, one, one, one question though on that one is the Bing integration takes it beyond September 21. So if you're yeah. using Bing, ah. it's time to come back and it implementation of OpenAI and ChatGPT do more than ChatGPT 3.5 or 4.0. You can, and, but I feel, I, tell me if confirm this or what, what not, Randy, but it is a little bipolar. Like some days it seems really smart and other days it's like, what happened to you? Like you're not there today. So I don't know why being is so inconsistent. The best I can answer that one is load. Chat GPT runs on Azure as well. And Bing also runs on Azure and there's just not enough uh, capability. Because remember, as we deal with the different models, Chat GT, GPT 3.5 is faster, but it's also only processing about 175 billion parameters over 50,000 tokens. Whereas GPT-4 is processing 100 trillion uh, yeah. parameters over a, a number of tokens I have yet to discover. I've looked for it in lots of different ways. I've looked at the algorithms, have not found them, but would love to know that number if one of our attendees knows that. Yeah. And I was going to say, if anyone's sitting here thinking, do I get 3.5, which is free on OpenAI, or do I pay the 20 bucks a month for four? I would say pay the 20 bucks a month. It's significantly smarter based on the parameters Randy just said. Also, I'll say I use it as an editor. So I'll write the baseline content and then have it just clean it up for me. So I actually feel like it does a great job being the content that I started with and expanding on it. I wrote an ebook over the weekend in like four hours. I told it like a paragraph per chapter of what I wanted to focus on and what my opinion was of it. And then it pulled together all the rest of the content, 27 pages. So it was, it's pretty cool. Jessica, how accurate do you think GPT is? Like you guys have such professional uses for GPT that I think you guys are going to think I'm weird. So on TikTok, Cash Savvy Jessica. I had ChatGTP write 10 Taylor Swift songs based on random things that I asked it to do. And my very first one, I asked ChatGTP, now Now give it just a minute. I got 1,400 views on this, which is big for someone who has like no activity on TikTok. And a lot of people who have said on all the videos that they think it's pretty accurate for what I was asking it to do. So my first song, I believe it had to do with Dory, like Finding Nemo, falling in love with the dad and how they could never be together. Oh, actually, no, the first one was about a rock who left her. Taylor Swift write the song about a rock who left her for scissors. Really funny stuff. Like they're not, it's totally humor and it's a lot of fun. And the comments that I get on it that a lot of Swifties agree that it's, it's got a very Taylor-esque tone to it and it's great songwriting. So if Taylor Swift ever reads all the things that I've tagged her in, maybe she will decide to sing one for us someday. But yeah, no, some of them are really actually really funny, really good. So I don't have any like super professional uses right now that I've, or I mean, I pay for it. I probably could. I've had it write a couple things, copy for some of my websites just to give me like a baseline. Can you tell me five reasons why tax resolution is a good career? And it'll come up with, it's okay. It'll come up with five different topics. And I try to give it like, give me like five even though I need three, you gotta try to find the most realistic three. That makes sense. And sometimes it can sound very, very robotic, right? And so some of the points you guys we hear are great. I'm new to some of this stuff as far as like training chat GPT and how you should communicate with it and the prompts you should give it. 
because realistically, I just got it for fun just to test it. But I do think that some of the things that I plan to do, even let's say with my workflows program, a part of that is writing emails and different chats to communicate with their clients. And I have to sometimes do that in a variety of tones. My tone for how I speak with my clients is very casual. Hey, friends, how you doing? But other people might have a more professional approach. And because I don't speak to my clients that way, I sometimes have to act. Can you make this sound more professional? And it'll come up with like a different salutation. It mm-hmm. might change some of the things that, again, appear casual and just add that that professional kind of induction yes. to it. Speaking of email assistants, I was on the hunt this weekend yeah. for the perfect AI GPT-4 email assistant. And there really isn't one. There's like a product called Ellie. There's oh something superhuman and missive say that they have integrations, but it's really just shortcutting things that you're going to say versus responding for you. That That is what I want. I want someone to help me with my email triage because it is getting out of control. Actually, Jeremy posted about this on Twitter the other day and I was like, I am so sick of so many emails. Like I need something out there to sort it for me. Does anyone know of a product like that? Post it if you do, because every day we're getting new things. So I think in the next two years, we're going to see a significant change in the jobs that we're doing because of these AI capabilities. I think it's going to be similar to how COVID hit us. It's not going to be that straightforward to figure out what or how uh, it impacted things. But I think definitely in the next two years, we're going to see it taking over compliance work easily. Tax prep, audit, because it's such a repetitive, boring process. Sorry, y'all. Sorry, auditors. But also, like, literally, I have been feeding it a lot of stuff about tax advisory to integrate it into tax plan IQ, and it's doing a great job. I just have to get it caught up to date of 2022 and 2023 information. Like, I'll tell it, hey, I sold a home, an investment property on May 1st. I bought a new one on June 15th. Do I qualify for a like kind of exchange? And it will say, yes, you do. Or it will give me the parameters around that. And so it's a great assistant. Even for complex advisory, which we don't really want to hear that, but it is. Randy, is AI going to take over the accountant's role, change our roles, specific roles? What's it going to do to our industry? I have been thoughtful about how it affects professionals because our listeners have probably already heard, yes, it can pass the bar and yes, it can pass the medical exam and it's recently passed the CPA exam. Yes. But I do not believe that it will take over the role of advisory. In fact, I actually consider the AI assistance critical to expanding our advisory capacities because not only does it help us handle more volume, but it gives us new ways of thinking about things. And we can ask for it to document things, by the way. And I am very fussy about documenting the resources that are being used. And even though sometimes it tries to make them up, like you've said, if you make them factual, that actually can be helpful. So my position is very simple on this. I think you'll have accountants that use AI and you'll have accountants that don't. And the ones that use AI will produce better products with less effort more rapidly. Okay. And the ones who are not using AI will be confused as to how their competitors are doing so much better work and don't seem to be near as stressed out. So 
that's part of the reason I'm so doggone excited about this. Now, to answer your earlier question, by the way, SaneBox is probably the easiest way to get that email handled. And, oh, I've had that for years. And it, yeah. it, that, even that's getting out of control. It, it is. But there are competitors like Spark and InMote and OnMail and Canary and Superhuman and TwoBird. But all of those, by the way, Jackie, are getting AI. Yeah. So guess what? We're going to actually train these. And here's another bit of, I'll call it technical insight. Vendors are going to build products that have very particularly seeded insights in different areas. So if you're trying to be a wealth manager, you're trying to be a whatever, and Jessica, I'll pick on your for a tax business that you're promoting and so forth. You can seed it with a lot of your knowledge and it will interpret things the way you want. So the vendors are going to expand in these different areas. Again, there will be seeding deficiencies. There'll be errors in the interpretation. So your professional expertise is still the bottom line here. It's a great starting place. Just make sure you continue to check it out. So a little bit of a rant along that way, but man, I'm excited because it does help us so much with our advisory work. Yeah, exactly. So a couple things to to reiterate based on what Randy just said. First of all, there are apps that will literally pull the data out of GPT and then pop it into Google Docs for your research and whatnot. So we're looking into that for actually documenting work papers in Taxman IQ for advisory services. And then there's apps like askme.ai or something where you can literally train it to be you, right? So like I can have an Ask Jackie as part of my software and of course, it has my biases in it, but it's going to be able to advise people the way that I would advise them in the tone and how frustrated, well, maybe as frustrated as I get, maybe it's a good thing because I get pretty frustrated sometimes when people aren't forward thinking. That's a, that's another tangent. Okay, Kelly, is AI going to take over accountants' jobs? Take over? No. Assist? Yeah. I think that with AI, accountants are going to be able to work 40 hours a week instead of 70 or 80 hours a week. Think we're going to be able to get our work-life balance back. I think that America in general is going to be able to maybe work 32 or 35 hours a week instead of 40, and that's going to become typical, or maybe four uh, four days instead of five days. And so I think it's going to help with our capacity and human capital issue that we have, taking away that grunt work, that copy and the pasting, or maybe you have two files and audits and they're off by an amount that's material enough you have to figure it out. Well, you could just load the two files and say, hey, fine, what's doesn't match instead of going line by line like a lot of people do today. And so for me, I think it's just getting our life back. Everyone's still going to have to make judgments. Everyone's still going to have to make decisions. I compare it to, so Jamie Peebles, the founder of NULA, K-N-U-U-L-A, he posted a really cool article about AI and where it is, and he likened it to electricity. And so I know you say a lot, it's an iPhone thing, but I don't remember the iPhone thing. I'm young enough to where I'm like, what was the iPhone thing? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. But when you talked about electricity, like at first it was just this like party trick. Like, hey, look what I can do. Cool. I can like put these two wires together, or these two things together, and it's going to create light. And every thought, many thought it was so great at the party. That's kind of where we are with AI. But then eventually you can now walk in and flip the switch and the light comes on and you don't even notice it, it happening anymore. It's just part of life. Like that's where AI is going to become or going to be. It's going to be very gradual. It's going to be very welcomed, I think, in the profession and the humanity at large. Yeah, awesome. Jeremy, what do you think? 
Yeah, the 10 key was going to replace accountants, and it didn't. Spreadsheets were going to replace accountants, and they didn't. Right? Bank rules within GL software were going to replace accountants, and they didn't. They did was they took the lower value, more commoditized work, and made that more accessible. Now, even then, here's the thing is accountants are still creating a lot of spreadsheets for their customers, right? Accountants are still setting up and managing and tweaking and fixing those bank rules in their customers' GL software, right? So it's not that it's going to replace, it's going to give confidence, sometimes deserved, sometimes not, to laypersons and to beginner level professionals, right? And they're going to get some things right and they're going to get some things wrong. And there will always be the need for oversight. There will always be the need for seniors, managers, partners, whatever, to go back and check the work, right? And what I think the long-term effect here, and we're already seeing this, and I think it's just going to exacerbate it, is it's going to be harder and harder to find quality, higher level workers in the profession because they're going to miss out on that manual training that you had to go through. And and I'm not talking about the education part of it. The education part of it is whatever. I was already running my small business tax and accounting firm before I went and got my master, my master's of accounting and started studying for the CPA exams. And about 99% of what I quote unquote learned through that process I will never ever use in my practice because it's all gap. It's all major industrial, Dow Jones type accounting, you know, that level of accounting or it's IFRS or it's just stuff that is never going to be relevant to my practice, my customers, that sort of thing. Right. And I think the same way we have a bias in the education component, in the textbooks that are created for the education component, and then therefore in who's hiring. There's going to be a bias toward the big four, the international firms, that sort of way of thinking about accounting, right? Because that's where all the money is. That's where all of the labor is. That's where, right? If you Google a topic, if you Google lease accounting, what are you going to find, right? You're going to find white papers from the big four on how to deal with the new lease accounting rules. And you're going to scroll or flip through three or four pages of that before you find out, okay, my like $500,000 a year client just leased a new Toyota Camry. How do I put that into QuickBooks, right? That's all I'm trying to do here. And I think you're going to get a lot of that kind of, it's technically right in this set of cases because that's what's driving the model, the algorithm, whatever. I'm not sure if this applies to what I'm actually trying to accomplish. Again, it goes back to prompting. Here's what I'm, here's who I am. Here's who I'm working with. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Just give me information relevant to that. Do you have any clarifying questions to help narrow this down even further? Okay. Okay. Jeremy, to your point, if I could, and really thinking both you and Jessica in your practices, how you might do some things. And this is going to be a little retrospective. Client accounting services, which has been around for a long time, but heavily promoted in the last 25 years. A lot of the things that are done at the bookkeeping and controllership level will become more automated. And we can take a simple tool like Uncat, which is a nice little classification tool. But as you start making those things more sophisticated, people will make some mistakes on classification, but they will get better and better. 
And if we just think of these uh, generative AI tools as assistants that we're training, they will get better. And these customized extensions to the large language models will make them better and better. So I'm very excited about the mundane things that have been done by people that are going to get done by machines. And I don't see it replacing anything just like you called out with the calculators and then the 13 column pads and the spreadsheets. Yeah, it's not going to replace that, but maybe Intuit or Zero or others will be smart enough to code more of this into their systems. Mm -hmm. So it actually can be interpreted at that level. And they're trying right now. So one thing, a perspective that I have on replacing that lower level mundane work, well, yes, I'm so excited about it. I'm also very terrified for like my daughter who has autism. And the job that she potentially is going to need is going to need to be the one with lists and spreadsheets and repetitive and over and over. And what is she going to do when she's 25 and there's literally no jobs because technology is doing it all? And so while it's great, I do worry that there is a subset of our population that's going to be significantly impacted in a very bad way. Yeah. Well, and I, I, th I think to Randy's point, right, we, we've already, I always come back to bank rules and I, I use QB, I use QuickBooks online for all of my accountants, bookkeeping and bank rules can be your best friend. They can be your worst enemy. And I get into discussions with bookkeepers about, because you have multiple settings in there. One, do you even want to create a bank rule in the first place? Or do you just want to manually categorize every single transaction that comes to the bank feed? That's entirely up to you. I like bank rules. I like being able to say, all right. If it's coming from this bank line description and it's maybe even if it's for this amount, right, we already know what that is. So let's create a bank rule around that to assign the vendor, to assign the category, this sort of stuff, right? Then the next question is, all right, there's a little slider button down at the bottom, auto add, right? Do we want QuickBooks to automatically process that transaction and get it out of the bank feed or do we want it to just suggest how to code it and then leave it there, right? I am a fan of auto add, but there's a caveat there. You have to very specifically write up that bank rule in order for that to work because one, you can pull in a transaction that looks just enough like what that bank rule is looking for, but it's not, and it will automatically categorize that the same way. So you've turned yourself from manually going through all of those transactions into now there's nothing in the bank feed, but the GL is a mess because it's full of a bunch of transactions that were automatically categorized by a poorly written bank rule. So again, it's just like prompting chat GPT. You've got to be really careful about what you're training the computer to do for you. And then you've got to be able to go back and check and make sure that it actually did things the correct way. That's a higher order of thinking and processing than it is of just manually going through and checking off every transaction, almost to That's the point true. where a tool like QBO, or if this thing starts preparing tax returns, right? We still need entry-level workers to be doing this stuff manually, even though it's more time consuming, even though it's annoying, right? To have to do that stuff manually when you know the tool exists. It's the same reason that your math teacher made you do equations by hand before you could pull out the fancy calculators to just get the answer. You, but I totally disagree. I think that we're not going to need to do those baseline things anymore. And I know everyone hates me for saying that because we all put our time in and our, our years of experience in to do this baseline craft. I don't think we're going to need that. And I think that we need to completely reevaluate our education system around taking people straight into advisory work versus some of those basics. 
We are running out of time. So Jessica, really quick, is AI going to take over our jobs or not? Uh, myself, personally, I don't believe so. So I really don't, I don't do any bookkeeping. I dumped it two years ago. I hated it. I hate Intuit because it's so annoying. Outsource it to my my good friend now. I don't believe so. I know that chat GGP something just passed the CPA exam, which good for them. I couldn't pass that exam. So it's a little, a little disheartening. But with the kind of work that I do, which is primarily tax resolution, and I think from a tax prep perspective, with things like due diligence and stuff that preparers are going to be held accountable for, it's really dangerous. I know even with certain tax programs, you can do things like macros to like automatically check all the boxes for due diligence and whatnot. And it takes that human element out of like, what documents did you rely on? What did you do to confirm that this person actually is who they say they are? I think that a lot of that is going to be difficult if preparers are going to rely on stuff like that and not, again, double check the information because the onus falls on us to say, yeah, I confirm the identity of this person. I confirm that they can claim this person on their tax return. And then I also think about from a like resolution perspective, right? There's an interpretive interpretation of law and there's a lot of stuff that is in tax court that you have to refer to. I'm studying for the tax court exam in November and there's just so much to know. This one book that I have on federal evidence for taxation has hundreds and hundreds of tax court cases that it's citing to support what has been ruled on and what is going to be used when presenting your evidence in court. And it's not something that I have seen so far that is going to be an accurate like adaptation of like what the fact pattern is for the person I would be representing to match what has already been ruled in court. Tom G, I don't know why I never can pronounce his last name, but you guys know what I'm talking about. He posted that he used chat, chat GTP to do some kind of citation and cite a tax court case and chat GTP made up a tax court case. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that there's going to be at least not for a while a replacement of something like that because it's there's so much just interpretive of like, again, as Brandy said, your own knowledge. We all are on Facebook groups, tax groups, and we all see Jeremy, I know, is like shaking his head over here. There is a varying, varying degree of education in our field. I have 14 years of experience and I have a unique 14 years of experience because I've had things come my way. People will never experience in the career. I worked at a firm, high volume resolution, never did anything else. My experience is going to be very different than Jeremy's experience. Jeremy is very intelligent. And a lot of things he says, I'm bookmarking on Facebook. Got to go back, got to go back. But not everybody who has the same number to, of... To years. correct me, right? To, 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 to. I think Jeremy and I are pretty similar in some of the, the positions that we have on some of these groups. And I can sit with somebody who also has the same number of years of experience and it will not be the same. And a lot of the times I think that's where the our, where our brains are going to still come into play with the kind of advisory work that we do because you can't always rely on a computer if from your own experiences and your own like practical application of the rules that we've studied all these years it's from what i've seen ai cannot effectively do that without somebody double checking that the information is correct yeah, Jessica, your insight there is gorgeous, by the way, because I'm just thinking about all the resolution tools and you know them all, the canopies and communities and IRS and Pitbull and Tax Act, and you can keep- We going. don't talk about canopy here. I, I figured you might not because, you know, again, your platform has your kind of thinking behind it, which is great. Just like Kelly's uh, audit miner has her thinking behind it. That's great. When we look at the level of the tools and Kelly, I'm sensitive to your 
technology have and have nots because there's going to be positions we're going to have to figure out with these tools over time. But I do want to make you aware that there are chat GPT models that have evolved. And you guys know about them like Bloomberg GPT or Quran or Bible GPT. But there's a lawyer GPT that's been evolving in the European market for two years. And the interpretation of some of these tax laws, it's going to be real wild. But again, you got to go through all the court dockets and so forth. And as you were talking about that, it's like, yeah, this gets real strange because it's so interpretive. But one thing I've learned through uh, the decades of doing this with intelligent accountants of all ilks, there are opinions on what's right and what's wrong. There's interpretations all the way. And I trust professional opinions. And I also respect differences of opinions among people because what we see is what we know. And people come up with new ideas all the time. And you can be hanging out in Idaho like you are and come up with an idea that nobody ever thought of. And it's like, how come I'm the first one to come up with that idea? It's because you're smart and you're thinking about it, right? So all of you listeners, you're smart and you're thinking about it too. That's why I'm happy to have the conversation with all of this panelists here today on AI is none of us know where this is headed exactly. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we have about six minutes left till the top of the hour. I've got a billion more questions, but I'm just going to refocus on one. Randy, what is one thing that you think that we haven't talked about that you think accountants need to know? It could be the security and privacy side of things. It could be the ethical considerations or something totally different. What's something that comes to mind that's important to you? The biggest one is one you've already named risk mitigation for privacy, because you have to understand that particularly in the published engines like BARD and uh, Bing, they are taking the data that you're putting in and incorporating them in their models, as opposed to Chad GPT, which has the cloud crawler cutoff of September 2021. So you cannot post client confidential identifiable information or you will put your clients at risk. Now, we could talk about security and new hacking and social media and all those vectors but the way I look at technology, it can all be used for good or for bad. And these generative AI models are definitely getting used both ways. And I cannot possibly be creative enough to figure out the worst scenarios and the best scenarios. And mm -hmm. I have good goggles on, so I always look at the best. But watch privacy like a hawk. That's very good advice. Thank you, Randy. Kelly, what about you? Mine is ethical. So I have a real world ethical situation that recently happened to me with AI, ChatGPT, all that. So I was at an AICPA accounting conference and I was talking to an individual about audit minor and they seemed really interested about it. So I got really excited about telling them and they're asking me, how many audits have you done? How many think, how many do you think you're going to do? What was your revenue? And I'm, I'm a kind of transparent person. So I was just talking to them about all this stuff, even where I see the technology going in the future and somewhat of my vision. And so at the very end, we were talking about something. He's like, yeah, well, the cool thing with AI, because he was disappointed that Audit Miner doesn't use AI like you see AI today. It does, but it's not like the future AI, right? He's like, the cool thing is that I can just go back and put in there, like, what was Kelly Mann talking about at this point? And it's going to find it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, this lapel here is recording everything you're saying. The entire conference, every session that this person was in, all of the lunch meetings, all of the closed door meetings, it was recording. 
And I did not know that. I would not have said some of the things that I know was being recorded. And is that plagiarism? Is the AICPA going to get upset that all of their content is now recorded and transcribed? And so I think that is inspiration that, like, it was just super easy for this person to do. Didn't think twice about it. But I literally Googled the laws of the state to see if they were out of line and they weren't. Wow. One had to consent and that person, he was consenting. But still, I was taken aback that you didn't ask my permission and all of this is now documented on paper. Like, that's not fair. Yeah, well, no, that's really interesting. Yeah, of just the normal person, not the technology, but just the normal person and how they use it is going to be a big deal and get some people in trouble. Yeah. Okay, Jeremy, Jessica, one minute. I know it's going to be tough for y'all. One minute, your thoughts. Go. No, I can do this. My uh, prior <laughs> career was in higher education. I was a college instructor. And one of the things that we really had to be concerned with was plagiarism. And Kelly used that word. And this is what's driving a lot of the headlines, a lot of the coverage of ChatGPT is college students using this thing to write up essays. And then it's so obvious, painfully obvious that they're just turning this in. But it goes beyond that, right? It go, Now we're dealing with this in the professional services where it's going to be customers. And this has already happened to me this past tax season, a customer sending me a screenshot of ChatGPT contradicting uh, a position I made on their tax return, or at least the customer saw it that way. Except that the two paragraphs that were in the screenshot he took, both of those paragraphs ended with the same line, which was, please consult with your tax professional. And I wrote him right. right back. And I said, I agree with those last lines of each paragraph 100%. Everything else I've already explained to you. So the, the BS meter in your brain is going to have to go into overdrive, especially when you're dealing with these tense, high value, high emotional situations. And you've just got to learn to keep your cool. We already tend to take it personally when our clients call us out or when they disagree with us. And this has the potential to feel that even more. So it's going to be even more incumbent on you to keep your cool, to maintain your positions and know that what you're saying is for your purposes and your customer's purposes, the right thing. Awesome. All right, Jessica, you have about 45 seconds. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with Jeremy on that. We already know how bad TikTok has gotten for a lot of accountants and how quickly misinformation is spread. That is going to be a hurdle we're going to have to overcome. I also want to take to Randy's two points, ethically, and also Kelly's ethical point, and then also privacy concerns. I have seen lots of people say how privacy is somewhat coming to the forefront because things are happening, things people just don't expect to happen. And we already have really high requirements as it is. It's only going to become heightened and our clients don't fully understand our requirements and desire to maintain the security of their information because they so nonchalantly will email you, text you something with confidential information. I think we're going to see a similar thing that could happen with something like like AI. But yeah, and ethically too, of course, there's a lot of things if we're relying on AI to do the ethical duties, to have that ethical mindset and say, hey, this is right or wrong. I don't think it's going to be a good one. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thank y'all so much for your time. I have another webinar. I'm sure y'all probably have a lot of other stuff going on. I want to say as you journey into this vast universe of AI, I'm sending my heartfelt wishes for our abilities to adapt, innovate, and prosper as we traverse this brave new digital frontier before us. Let's seize every opportunity in unity and weave a future that outshines our dreams. Now, who wrote that? Chat GPT. That did nothing like me, did it? I'm not that smart. But hopefully we'll flourish alongside AI as we go from here. Thank, thank you, panelists. Thank you, attendees. 
Make sure and take the survey. This is a free offering. If you liked it, let us know. And y'all take care. Thanks for the invite. Great to talk with all of you. Of course. Bye. For listening to the Concierge CPA hosted by Tax Plan IQ. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. If you are a successful accounting firm owner or influencer who would like to be on this program, please visit JackieMeyerCPA.com, J-A-C-K-I-E-M-E-Y-E-R-CPA.com to apply. Please share this on social media and rate us so we can continue our good work. Join our Facebook group called Accounting Firm Influencers or connect with me on most platforms under Jackie Meyer CPA. Thanks for being accountable to transforming our industry today.